Uh, it is an interesting time in the world of finance right now. I don't know if you've heard the story over the last couple of days, uh, maybe even a week or so, about uh, the Silicon Valley Bank just going belly up. And there's a lot of other banks south of the border that right now are a little concerned. And the regulators have stepped in and everybody's trying to balance the books and figure out just what the hell went on. Canada, I think we're a little safer up here, but to just kind of figure out what's going on and where your money should be and when is the time to invest. I go to one person when I have questions like this. Uh, he is a former multi-Webster award-winning journalist. He's the CEO and founder of Equity.Guru, Chris Perry. Good morning. What's up? All day, Rob Fay. All day, Rob Fay is curious to know if what's going on south of the border can trickle north of the border. Everybody seems to be saying that we're safe up here, but is anything truly safe? Man, if you look at the way banks actually run, uh, it will make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up a little bit. Like it's to me, it's surprising that it's taken this long for another bank to go over. Um, generally speaking, Joe Average thinks that you know when you deposit a hundred dollars, the bank then goes and lends it out at a slightly higher interest rate than what you're getting paid for your savings. Uh, but the reality is, is that banks have zero real requirements to have money in the bank before they lend it. They basically lend it first, borrow it from each other, and then at some point they figure, well, we should probably have some cash in the bank in case someone wants some of this money out. Uh, so then they go looking for deposits. It's kind of a bit backwards. Um, but once a bank lends money, it considers that an asset, then can lend more money against its asset. So it's it's really quite the, the, the game of spinning plates. And I think south of the border, they got caught with their proverbial pants down because, you know, we, we talk about the big six here in Canada when it comes to banking. But south of the border, and, and, and I don't want to put this at the feet of Donald Trump, maybe you can or, or someone can, but when he deregulated and made it just open season for everybody, this is where these, you know, this plethora of banks popped up. And now all of a sudden we see some of that exposure, which makes an investor super weary. Like, where would you be putting your money in this day and age? Well, I mean, the, the cold hard fact of the matter is you have to put your money in the bank just so that it's it's there when you need it. But, you know, I, I'd be really interested in doing business with a bank that just said to me, we're just going to have your money here when you need it instead of like going and playing with your money all night, lending it 40 times uh, for every, every dollar that you put in. Um, back in the 1700s, right the way through to the 1930s, there'd be a bank run about once every 10 years. Like it was a pretty regular occurrence. You put your money in the bank and people get a bit antsy. There's rumors going around and suddenly everyone wants their money out and the bank dies. In, in the Great Depression, they put rules in place to try and stop this from happening and make it a bit more safe. And that pretty much ended the bank run for several decades until back in the 80s, 90s, we started dropping all the rules again. And then 2008, we had everything collapse. Uh, so more rules were put in place. And then what happened a couple of years ago is those rules got relaxed and here we are. So it's just like this regular thing where it's a constant battle between the the arch capitalists that think that you know they should have the ability to create money, and those who would really like it if we could call on our reserves when when we needed them. You know, I was having a conversation with Jody Vance, who is a, a host at this fine station. I know you have a uh, a partnership with her as well at Equity Guru. Um, she was talking the other day about where are the markets heading, and I know that that's a really you know generic question, but right now as we're heading for spring, we're coming out of this winter funk. Where are the markets heading? 
Man, you know, if you think back to the pandemic, like the markets should have cratered. We should have all been like sitting in the street selling match matchbooks, you know, like uh, it, it, it should have been the end of everything we hold dear. But it wasn't because the powers that be these days kind of pull the strings a lot harder than they used to. Uh, if you just think over the last year and a half, like we've had all the crypto collapses. We've had uh, war in the Ukraine. We've had all sorts of things that might have caused the economy to collapse. And if anything, every time something negative happens, the markets double up. So with inflation the way it is, you might have thought a year ago, like inflation was high. Inflation's really high right now. And yet the stock market still keeps going up. We're in this time when it's a lot more difficult to predict what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. Um, I've been telling people to make sure that they've got a lot of cash on hand, maybe cash in their investments for a couple of years. And that's been the wrong advice Um, just because the markets have, have been manipulated. Every time things get really bad, they raise interest rates a little bit and, uh, you know, pull the, the handbrake. But at some point, you can't just keep printing money. You can't just have the government keep buying shares to prop up the market. It, it, at some point, it needs to be paid for. And people are increasingly weary that that time might be coming. Uh, that said, like, uh, when the government can just print as much money as it wants, um, that's never really considered to be a good environment for the economy. But here we are. We're still just like not collapsing. So I, my best advice is to just make sure you've got enough cash that things really went pear-shaped for six months, that you'd be okay. Mm. Um, even if it means pulling things out of investments, even if it means you know selling something on Craigslist or not making a big purchase, just make sure that you're a little bit more secure than you would normally need to be. Chris, thank you for the advice today. I do appreciate that. <laughs> Everyone should be encouraged to talk to their financial professional to get their own investment advice because your individual situations vary. But just be safe out there. Like, you know, when someone comes along and says you're going to double your money on this crypto coin, uh, ask a couple of people before you jump in. All right. Chris Perry with Equity Guru. Have a great day, my friend. Thanks, man. Rob Fan for Mike. An interesting study came out this week as we get ready to turn the page and finally welcome spring. I heard John Strait say that it was going to get up to 15 this weekend. That'd be fine by me. I'd be okay with that. The report says that three in five Canadian homeowners are concerned about either flooding and or mold. I mean, we're no stranger to extreme weather and water. Spring starts next week and flooding season approaches real, real fast. To talk about this and much more, Jim Mandeville. Senior Vice President, First On-Site Property Restoration. Uh, First and foremost, Jim, good morning. Good morning. Well, let's talk about this because I think a lot of us, as things start to thaw out and we see the first buds starting to appear on the trees, uh, we just want to get outside and take our, you know, parkas off. But the reality is, is we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to do some preparation, aren't we? Well, we certainly should be. I mean, you know, your home or your business often, you know, the largest uh, investment you're going to have in your lifetime. And it's really important that, you know, we can take a few small steps to help protect it and look after it, uh, especially at this time of year. You have done a lot of things. Uh, You know, you were at the command center during Hurricane Fiona. 
the 2021 Pacific Northwest floods, the landslides that came with that. I mean, you talk about the weather changing geographically, but in this region in particular, uh, landslides, the potential for flooding, it's real. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people got to start preparing maybe perhaps earlier instead of reacting. Well, definitely. And I mean, unfortunately, what we've seen, you know, in recent history, you know, in this part of the country is that this can happen and it's unfortunately going to happen again. And if we're not prepared, we could be caught flat footed again. So it's really important, you know, that people pay attention and and wake up to this new reality where this is a real risk and it's something we need to manage and something that we need to consider in our everyday lives. Are you starting to notice that insurers are having a tougher time insuring properties based on the fact that those numbers are up? Uh, We're certainly hearing from some of our customers that they're having some challenges, uh, you know, getting enough coverage uh, in certain high-risk areas. Um, We first started to see this in northern Alberta, you know, with the wildfires around Fort McMurray and stuff like that. We're starting to see it with flood coverage, uh, you know, on both coasts where it's getting a little bit more difficult to get coverage. It's certainly nothing like we see on television in places like Florida or the Texas coast, but it is certainly getting more difficult. And again, it's something that, you know, if your home is uh, in a higher risk area, something you need to be very cognizant of. I was reading this report uh, and it goes, you know, coast to coast to coast, talking by province and territory. Who's the most concerned? And British Columbia topped that list at 73%. It certainly did. And, And we think part of what that is, is just the awareness. I mean, it was really hard to ignore the fact, you know, that there was some pretty widespread flooding in B.C. last year. Um, So definitely people are waking up to it. There's certainly more news coverage. I mean, unfortunately, flooding and overland flooding and atmospheric rivers, these things have always been with us. But historically, they've been pretty rare and, and not something that sort of lives in our memory for very long. And with the increased frequency with the, you know, the evolution of our climate, it's certainly becoming much more top of mind for much more Canadians. Jim, let's talk mold really quickly. I never thought I'd say that on a radio station, having done sports radio for as many years as I did. But it is also a concern this time of year. You're talking about damp. You're talking about soggy coming out from winter. And this is uh, prime time, if you will, for mold. Yeah, it sure is. So our homes and businesses are made with a lot of building materials that uh, are really not designed to get wet. And when they do get wet, especially things like drywall, um, things like wood, they can very easily start to develop mold. And as most of us know, mold can be a real hazard to your health. If there's a lot of mold, especially little tiny bit, bit on your bathtubs, not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we're starting to see black stuff growing on the wall, green stuff growing on the wall, that's a real problem and should be a real cause for concern for any homeowner or business owner. And, you know, definitely calling a professional to help mitigate that and uh, protect your family is, is really the best course of action. It's one of those things where I don't think people proactively think of mold. They only react to it when they see the quote-unquote black mold coming through the, through the paint in a room that's been far too damp. But what can you do to prevent that? I mean, obviously, keeping things dry is primary, but is there anything else that we can do to you know, help fend that off? Well, I mean, step one is making sure things don't get wet, as you mentioned. And then if things do get wet, it's really important that they're acted on quickly. The accepted standard is that mold can begin to develop on building materials within 48 hours of exposure to water. So if you have some water damage in your home or you notice some water coming through a window or a door, hours matter and you need to get that dealt with and cleaned up properly immediately. If you let it sit or it is ongoing for a period of weeks or months, it's going to go moldy. It's not a maybe, it's not an if. 
you're going to have a mold problem. So really acting on it very quickly is number one. Uh, and then number two is that if you are doing any major renovations or, or building a new home, putting some consideration into using more resilient building materials will really pay dividends in the future using water resistant materials and, and other, you know, more resilient building materials can really pay dividends. Jim Mandeville with first on site property restoration. I do appreciate your time today. Thank you for the insight. Thank you. Have a great morning. It's my pleasure. Rob Faye in for Mike today and again tomorrow as he gets the long, long weekend as one Mike Smith. Happy to be joining you. And one thing that I love talking about is homes. And you know what? Aside from the mortgages and all the inflation and everything going on, there are still some out there who are optimistic that their time will happen in 2023 where they'll get their first home or they'll find the home of their dreams. But fewer are optimistic than maybe before if February's reports are any indication of that. Dane Itell, president and CEO of Itell Insights, kind enough to join me. Dane, good morning. Great to be with you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. And uh, Canadian home sales dropping 40% in February by this time last year? Absolutely. And across uh, Greater Vancouver specifically, it was down 47%. What gives? I mean, obviously, I know that the um, the numbers are up, but I didn't think it'd be that sharp a drop. Well, you know what's interesting? Uh, certainly, it's a lower inventory environment uh, from some of the recent or past years. However, uh, comparing year-over-year numbers, we're actually up 8% for total available properties across Real Estate Board at Greater Vancouver compared to February of 2022. So there is slightly more inventory than there was this time last year. Uh, however, sales have been absolutely uh, dormant. January was one of the lowest sales uh, in our history. And we did bounce back quite nicely in February. Actually, in the detached market, uh, the average house price increased $145,000 month over month, which is a 7.6% gain, the largest gain in the past seven years. So certainly there was a robust demand uh, in February, and I believe that there is strong demand across all asset classes right now. The inventory low numbers is a challenge. Um, that said, properly priced listings are achieving you know, multiple offers and, and selling above asking price. With all this good news, we still are definitely down from the individual market peaks. So the detached market is off 11% from its individual market high in April of 2022. And the the Real Estate Board Greater Vancouver condo prices are down 8% from their individual high in February of 2022 as well. So kind of a mixed bag of data. But we are expecting to see some, uh, you know, likely consolidation of the market lows, especially if the interest rates do remain at their current levels. I was going to say, Dane, I, I know that Vancouver and Toronto are almost in their own little bubble because it doesn't necessarily across Canada represent this. For example, in the Maritimes, January and February, things look to have stabilized where uh, in rural Ontario, they've stabilized as well. But Toronto and Vancouver are still feeling that pressure. I guess my question to you, Dane, is does that force people to maybe look outside of these two big cities? You know what? That's a, that's a very fair point. Um, and, and truth be told, during COVID, that's really where the market went, was outside of kind of the typical market leading uh, areas. And they did enter into the lagging markets, the more affordable areas. Likely a lot of people were looking for expanded uh, square footage in their property. So they did move out to kind of the tertiary markets, the secondary markets uh, across Greater Vancouver and to uh, your point to the TREB market as well. So certainly in these major cities, we experience more volatility than some of the more dormant areas. Um, but that, of course, is exciting for investors when times are good. But when times are kind of inverse and starting to correct, 
it can be a, a scary and a challenging time, especially for those that maybe stepped in with the variable rate mortgages uh, at the market highs of last year. And I was I was one of those as we moved just back in December, and I kept thinking to myself, you know what? Surely it's going to stabilize. So when you hear the Bank of Canada say that they're they're going to stay where they are, and dare we say go up one more time, was that a poor gamble? Or and I'm okay if it was, but uh, is that something that now people who invested in that last year are regretting? You know what? It's it's an interesting kind of uh, statistical number, right? So, in in our opinion, while the market uh, mortgage rates were low, it, it didn't make a ton of sense to enter into a variable mortgage. It can really only get worse from there, and as a result, it obviously did. Our our strategy or our theories behind it is when the interest rates are high, that's when you would likely go into a variable. While they were low, it, it wouldn't be even a, an, an unforeseen. Um, idea or a notion to enter into a five or a 10 year fix just because you were taking advantage of those historic market uh, conditions. So I, I, I guess bottoming out, I don't know if I'm using the proper terminology here, but are we getting to the lowest point before we start to see an upswing? Because I got to think as soon as those rates come down, combined with COVID, everybody wanted to scratch the itch. If there is some form of supply in this city, or at least in the province, it's got to be, it's going to be like meat in a tiger's den, no? I would absolutely totally agree with you. And actually on this show, I believe it was back in May of last year, this is exactly what we forecasted was between a 14 and a 17% market correction after we achieved the market highs in April. So, you know, within a, a matter of months, we did correct down the 14%. And just in January this past year, or sorry, this past month, we did achieve that full 17% pro- prescribed market threshold. Now, why we expected it to bounce in February as it did was because it was testing, like we said, the market cycle lows, but also testing the prolonged uptrend, which has been in place basically since the 2008-2009 market recession. So, of course, the fundamentals were there for, you know, a potential for a robust market in February, but certainly so were the technicals. And we really believe that's one of the kind of subconscious uh, things that was running through the market, which did propel it higher in February. Had, uh, you know, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell had his druthers and potentially would see more interest rate increases, we would have likely seen a dead cat bounce in this average sale price. Hmm. But with some of the banks failing in the States and some concerns about that, we could very much be consolidating the market lows and preparing for another you know, takeoff point here in the near future. You beat me to the question. I was, that was my very last one for you, Dane, is with everything going on south of the border with the banks, uh, do you expect some shift? You know, what? it's 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 really an interesting time, right? I mean, two weeks ago, pretty much everybody would have put uh, put a bet on the interest rate increases. I'm still in that camp. Uh, I do believe that there will be a quarter, potentially 50 basis points uh, before the end of the year. Of course, I stand to be corrected on that as the market uh, conditions continue to mature. But this is certainly I wouldn't I'm certainly not in the camp and nor is our, our company that we would like to see interest rate decreases. That would create a continued whipsaw effect. And as explained earlier, you know, Toronto and Vancouver are kind of already had knee jerk reactions here. So to see some stability, some calmness reenter this market, consolidate the market lows and, and really have a healthy market to move forward and see eventual price gains is what we would think would be best for all concerned. Dane, I appreciate your time today. I, I learned a lot. I'm taking bad news home to my wife later this afternoon. But thank, <laughs> but thank you anyway for it, Dane. My pleasure. Thank you, Rob. My pleasure. Rob Fain for Mike Smith. You know, one of the things we're going to have to talk about, uh, we'll do it probably in about half an hour, is the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League banning fighting starting next season. Hockey and no fighting. Is that sacrilege? Do you think there's a place for it in the game or not? 
Quebec's saying they don't want any part of it starting next season. Uh, something that just happened over the last couple of days, the fine premier of this province, David Eby, dropping a whole bunch of cash in the hands of TransLink. And I haven't heard a lot of blowback to this. If anything, people are like, cool, I hope it's for general infrastructure. What is it for? Or is my route going to improve? Let's get to the crux of this. The mayor of Port Coquitlam, Mayor Brad West, kind enough to join me. Uh, mayor, good morning. Good morning, Rob. Now, I know, obviously, you're a part of TransLink from a mayoral process. And I guess, first and foremost, where do you see that allocated money going? Well, I think the money is going to be really critical in terms of continuing to move forward with uh, service expansion. Uh, This region is growing by leaps and bounds. And by most estimates, uh, we expect to see an additional 50,000 people move to Metro Vancouver every single year. And for a little bit of context, that's like adding a city the size of North Vancouver every single year. And so uh, clearly there are very high growth parts of the Metro Vancouver region. There's significant growth in the Tri-Cities, where I'm from, uh, in uh, Maple Ridge, and very, very significant growth in uh, the Surrey and Langley area. And uh, the status quo is that people in those areas don't have very good transit options. Uh, They are infrequent. uh, The routes are indirect. Uh, And it's not really a viable alternative for most people to driving your vehicle. And so if we're going to see the the population in our region continue to grow the way it has been and it's forecast to, we need to make sure that people have realistic options. The alternative to that is going to be people being very reliant upon their vehicle. And it's going to mean a heck of a lot of congestion for everyone. And so the announcement by the provincial government allows TransLink to continue on the path that it has been on for the last little bit, which is service expansion. And as mayors, we have collectively come together and agreed to a vision uh, for transit in our region for the next 10 years that would see a very significant expansion of our bus network. It would see the extension of rapid transit. Uh, It would see us introduce uh, bus rapid transit into our region as well, which is uh, new technology. And so it it does a number of things that we believe uh, we need. It's a requirement to meet the growing needs of this region. We talk about the growing needs, but we also talk about a declining ridership. And one of the things that I wanted to see is secondary ways to generate revenue aside from just you know, getting money from the government on a good year where they have a surplus. Is there, is there anything in motion right now where TransLink will be able to generate other, you know, streams of revenue? I think that's a really important point that you raise. And I'm pleased to share that on that front, there is a lot of forward movement. Uh, in many parts of the world, transit agencies are involved in, uh, in providing housing Uh, in proximity to transit stations because uh, we know that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And if you look around our region where you see uh, SkyTrain stations, you see more dense forms of housing. Um, That can be uh, an incredibly uh, lucrative development. Um, And right now that that money is uh, collected by uh, developers and builders. 
The province recently made changes that allow for TransLink to be uh, more involved in, in the process of creating housing near transit hubs. And what that will do is hopefully uh, generate funds uh, independent of the taxpayer that can then be reinvested in the system. Uh, and this is a model that has been used in many places of the world. It's been successful. And it creates, again, a, another uh, revenue stream to be able to give us the expansion we need without being overly reliant upon either you know gas tax or transit fares uh, or the taxpayer in general. And so th- that is an important piece. You know, obviously the Broadway line is being built as we speak and Surrey's going to want some expansion. Langley's going to want their piece. I, I know Maple Ridge is eventually looking at them as well. When you sit down with this council, because it's it's cool that a whole bunch of mayors get together, um, who's banging the drum the loudest and what do you see in the next couple of years coming to fruition? <laughs> well, everyone definitely is banging the drum, <laughs> including yours truly, because Port yes. Coquitlam is growing significantly as well. Um you know, but I'm really pleased with uh, our, our uh, the current composition of the mayor's council. I think uh, there's a real understanding that we need to see benefits everywhere. Uh, the whole thing falls apart if people in Port Coquitlam or Surrey or Langley feel, hey, I'm paying into this system. I'm not seeing any benefit. It's all going to, you know, Vancouver or, or wherever, right? Uh, and so there's a real recognition that, we have to see improvements to every part of the region. And it, it, it's obviously going to look different in different parts of the region, depending on ridership. And you mentioned ridership. Ridership is recovering. It's not back to uh, where people want it to be, but it is the fastest ridership recovery of any transit agency in North America. And in some parts of the region, like in Surrey, for instance, it's actually uh, beyond where it was before the COVID pandemic. So the ridership is is coming. Uh, it has returned strongly in many places, but also there's different patterns now. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to be mindful of as well. Um, you know, less office work, maybe some more remote work, uh, people increasingly moving uh, further east into our region. We need to make sure that our transit system is delivering the service where it's required and where people are going. And so, that's why the process we go through, very collaborative. There is certainly some give and take. Everyone doesn't get exactly what they want. But, you know, if we can stay united, and that's a big part of my job is working hard with all of the mayors, listening to what their community needs and finding those win-wins to move us forward. Um, so I think that's the key. I think the last question that I have for you on this and I appreciate the time, is David Eby coming forward saying we couldn't wait any longer for the federal government to help us, so we're going to go out and do this himself. Are you a little disappointed at the feds dragging their feet on this, or are you more happy that the province was proactive in this instance? I I am very disappointed that uh, the federal government didn't step up on this occasion. Um, I'm equally grateful that in their stead, uh, the province stepped up, and also covered the the federal portion that we had hoped was going to be there. Um, I know Metro Vancouver is a long way from Ottawa, uh, but, you know, there are literally billions of dollars of taxpayer money that leaves Metro Vancouver every year and goes to Ottawa. 
And we need to see some of that money reinvested in our region. And so I'm going to be leading a delegation of mayors to Ottawa in May. And we're going to be very strong uh, with the MPs and the federal government around seeing our fair share. Uh, You know, it is an absolute requirement. And I think people expect that all levels of government come to the table to provide the services that people are depending on. So we really do need the federal government to step up. Your time was valued today, Mayor West. Thank you for it. Thank you for having me. 911.